All right, good evening, everybody. We'll be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 14. What did you say? Are you heckling me already? It begins with pursue love. That's where we left off. Paul trying to tell the Corinthian church they need to kind of straighten up a little bit. They're a little out of order. They've got some pride. Um, they're segregated um, into groups. And uh, he says this isn't what the body looks like. It's not what the family of Christ looks like. And uh, so he wants them to pursue love. If you're going to do something, if the greatest of these is love and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit in chapter 12 are worthless without chapter 13, love... Um, that's what you should be pursuing and desire spiritual gifts. He doesn't want us to exclude them. He isn't saying love is better than the gifts, and so therefore just get love and you should be fine. He, he, the gifts are, are, are by God for us to use to show his love. Um, I wouldn't say it's impossible to show his love without the gifts, but they're there for that purpose. They're the hose by which we get the water to the, to the folks. Uh, that's the bucket that goes into the well. Um, without the bucket, you're dropping a rope. You're coming up with a wet rope of God's love. You need to get something that contains it, which are his gifts, and give that to the people. And that's what the gifts are for. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the body of Christ. It's to help us. It's to edify us. It's to build us up. And so he's going to focus on two of those specific gifts in chapter 14, tongues and prophecy. Tongues and prophecy. They're not the same thing. They're for two different audiences. Tongues are for the person, and prophecy is for the others. Um, they have an overemphasis on tongues in, in this Corinthian church to the point where they've excluded everyone else, and they used it as a badge of honor. I have tongues, and you don't have tongues. Or I speak in tongues, or we all speak in tongues, and eventually get to be a little crazy during their worship times where people were just trying to be louder than one another in the gift of tongues. Think of it like singing. When we all worshiped here together tonight, it's a choir atmosphere. You're not alone in your car. It's not a bunch of soloists, you know, screaming and yelling at the top of your lungs and, well, doing whatever you do in your car, so I don't want to know. I know what I do in my car, and I don't do that here. And you'll be thankful for that if you ever saw me in my car when I'm worshiping. No, we understand we're around each other and we're here to come together and to have a, a song that sounds like we're all lifting up our voices to God together, not individually. And so we don't have a bunch of soloists, although I, I bet you've had that before. Been to a church service where there was a soloist in the crowd and you're like, okay. And it, it does what? It draws your attention away from God and onto the soloist, which is what the intent was. And so with tongues, likewise... Paul's going to try to explain it. That's great that you guys speak in tongues, but you, you're a bunch of soloists screaming and yelling to see who's going to be on top, to see who's going to get the limelight, and that's not what we're here for. So pursue love. If you pursue love, you'll use tongues properly. If you pursue love, you'll use prophecy properly. You'll use all the gifts properly because love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22. 
When you're filled with God's Holy Spirit, you have his love. That's what comes. And then you use the gifts appropriately, which was what chapter 13 was about. So pursue love. It's something you have to endeavor to do. Desire spiritual gifts because you can't grab those. Those are given. You don't get to buy them. Those are something that God bestows. But love, that you can pursue. That's something you work at. But especially that you may prophesy. That's what Paul says, I want you to desire the most. If you're going to desire spiritual gifts, desire that you may prophesy. Prophesying is proclaiming, it's foretelling, forthtelling of God's glory. All prophecy tells us when it is the foretelling of what God's going to do and it brings him glory. But there is another form of prophecy, which is a forthtelling of God's amazement. Yeah, the book of Revelation, when it describes heaven, it is foretelling, but it is also forthtelling. It, it's already there. It's already happening. It already looks like that. It's forthtelling of God's glory and grace. We just can't see it. So it's telling us about what we're going to see when we get there, forthtelling. Foretelling would be when he's going to come or how he's going to come and what that's going to look like and you know things that are going to take place right before he comes. That's foretelling, okay? Those are all prophecies, but they all build us up. They're encouraging. We look around today and we, we're thankful for the foretelling of all these prophecies that have come to pass. We look at Ezekiel and it's exciting to see you know, these things getting closer and closer and starting to brew up and build up you know, all around the, uh, the Middle East and so on. And we know, and that's encouraging to us. And it, it should be exciting that Iran's having a heyday over there right now. You know, these things and everything, it starts popping like that. Those are like, you ever, you ever watch a, 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 a pot of water try to start to boil and you're trying to make mac and cheese? Some of you don't remember what that's like, but if, when you're starving to death, you're like, okay, I know I can't. If I put it in now, they're just, it's not going to work. I've got to wait for it to boil. When you see that first bubble, you're like, yes, we are very close to dumping in the noodles. Well, that's what's happening. When we watch the Middle East, that's our pot. Ooh, there's a bubble, you know, and it's exciting to see. It's about to take place. That's the foretelling. And Paul says, man, I hope, I hope that that happens. I hope that especially you desire to prophesy. Isn't that amazing how that goes along with Sunday's teaching? If you remember it right. Do you remember what Moses had hoped? Remember the little kid coming in saying, hey, there's two guys out in the camp prophesying after God had taken his Holy Spirit, some of it, so how that works, I don't know, from Moses and spread it out to the 70 elders and 68 of them showed up, but two of them stayed in the camp and two in the camp started prophesying. A little kid comes in and says, hey, there's guys prophesying in the camp. And Joshua's like, stop them. He goes, no, I, oh, that the, oh, that all of God's people would prophesy. See, it's the same heart, which is an interesting thought when God says that he's going to send a prophet just like Moses and how Jesus shows up and bestows his Holy Spirit upon the 70. I mean, the, the, the correlation is amazing. And here we have the same heart of Paul saying, oh, I wish that everybody would prophesy. I believe that someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit desires that for everybody. You'd want everybody to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You would hate for anybody to not go through this walk with Jesus Christ without being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Oh, that they would all have this gift of forth-telling of God's grace and mercy and majesty. And so Paul desires that for them. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. 
for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive an edification. So a very clear explanation of what it is. There's nothing wrong with tongues. It's just for a different person. It's for you. It's not for everybody. And if there's an interpretation, that's great. Everybody can say amen. But tongues is an act of worship from the person to God. It's never to the people around them. Some people get confused about that. Maybe some Pentecostal churches are a little confused about that. You'll have that moment where there's someone who speaks in tongue in the crowd, and then someone will give a prophecy, and they'll mistake it for the interpretation. And they'll think that uh, what that person said was that all of us should now get on our knees, or, or whatever they say. They misunderstand. And when someone speaks in tongues or speaking to God, it's a way of worship. It's encrypted praise, if that's a modern way to put it. Encrypted praise. You know what encryption is. You, you, you hope for that every time you buy something online. I hope it's encrypted. Because no one can break that code unless you have the actual key. Encryption's very sophisticated. No one knows the language. You can look at it, but it's gibberish as you're looking at the code flying through the fiber optic. And they look at that and they see that encryption. They go, I don't know what that means. We need to find the key to that. There needs to be an interpretation on the other end. It's meant from person to God. It's a direct line. It's encrypted praise. And it's so important that we have that time. Now, he does say that I wish you all spoke with tongues, which means what? Y'all don't. I wish y'all did, but y'all don't. And he said that before, earlier. Not everybody has every gift. Not everybody has the gift of tongues. Not everybody can do that because it's a gift from God. It's something he bestows. You may desire it. You may want it, but he may not give it to you. And that's fine. It's, he's the giver. You can't complain about that. I wish you all did, but I, I wish you all prophesied more than even tongues. And he's trying to show them that prophecy is better than tongues because people can understand it. When you're, when you're alone and you're worshiping God, tongues is awesome. Some people get confused by it because they've never spoken in tongues. They don't know what it is. They've seen it, maybe. They've heard it. It's a little disturbing to them because they've never done it. They've never had that gift. So they look at it and they say, hmm, that could be of the devil. And that makes me more comfortable since I don't do it to say that that's of the devil. And that's what most people feel about things they're uncomfortable with. That's of the devil. It's not. It's of God. And to say that it's of the devil is very dangerously close to blasphemy of God, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Be careful. It isn't of the devil. It's of God. When you are so emotionally overwhelmed that you don't know how to express with the vocabulary that you currently own the glories of God and how you're feeling, it's okay to pray in the Spirit, to speak in tongues, and allow Him to do what you can't do. I have this overwhelming, I don't know what to say. It's just like, I'm, it's too much for me to express. And there it goes. I don't know what I said, but I sure feel a lot better. That encrypted praise went up from me to God by the Holy Spirit. It's a release. It's amazing. So desire that for your own personal edification. 
But if you want to edify the body of Christ, he says, it's prophecy that builds people up. He gives us three things that prophecy does. It speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. All three of those things are are, uh, encapsulated in that gift of prophecy. Prophecy speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. It is a blessing to hear that from people. I love hearing people praise the Lord. I love hearing and understanding when they talk about things. Now, there's a difference between an emotional, uh, uh, I don't know how to, what the right word is. There's an emotional plea sometimes. Sometimes preachers can get fired up. I've done that once in a while. I get emotional about a subject, and I'm kind of talking to, and I start talking like this, and I get really loud, and someone in the audience goes, amen, and we're all kind of in a frantic. That's not the spirit. That's just us getting emotional about something. I went to a movie with my wife. We have, I don't know when the last time. We always go to kids' movies. It's what you do. You know, they're safe. But we went to The Greatest Show, Showman. Now, I am a musical guy. I mean, I'm not musical, but I love musicals. I love them. I mean, I, the, the uh, Fiddle on the Roof, I, I could watch that every single night. Love it. Davia, you, you know, I, I could probably quote it to you. Love that stuff. And I'm watching this, and I'm, Jenny and I both said, boy, I'm glad the theater was dark, because I get emotional watching this stuff. It's so powerful. The stuff is so powerful, but it's powerful emotionally. They didn't touch my spirit. I wasn't edified. I didn't build myself up. I wasn't going, oh, God, you're so... No, I just went, man, that is moving. Emotionally moving. We have to be careful that we keep those two separate and not confuse one for the other. That emotional moving doesn't mean I have a spiritual connection to the greatest showman. No. This is really intense and amazing what people can do with their voices and the creativity and that's such a wow, look at those people. It's amazing to me. But a spiritual thing is completely different. A spiritual desire. You need that time. Whether you speak in tongues or not, it isn't of the devil, it is for today and it will be until Christ comes again. Don't let anybody teach you otherwise. The Bible teaches that it will be here. It's a gift that's going to be in operation until Christ comes. Whether you do or not, you do need those times of emotional release, spiritual release with God. You need your quiet times. You need that time of worship. Whether it's encrypted or not, whether you have the gift of tongues or not, it makes no difference. You need those times. They're invaluable. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. The scriptures tell us, Acts chapter 3. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. There's a quietness that takes place. Just being there with the Lord. Expressing your thanksgiving and your heart to him. You need that. To edify yourself. But it won't edify the body. But let me tell you, it will edify you. Let me give you an example. Christ uses this as an example. We're the body of Christ. Individual members all together, but we're here to help each other. But... We need to take care of ourselves also. And so I was looking something up. I was trying to think of something. Well, how does that, how can I pull that in? Since he uses the body of Christ, how can I relate that to the gifts of the Spirit? And I was thinking about the brain. That's an organ all by itself that needs to maintain itself or the whole body suffers from it. Everybody go for lack of sleep? Anybody have insomnia? Everybody get tired? Your decision-making skills are horrible. You can't think clearly. Your memory's horrible. There's a reason for that. 
It's physiological. You need your sleep. When you sleep, your brain goes from active to inactive. It goes from alert to unaware. And it needs to do that. Your brain cells actually shrink 60% when you sleep, opening up the the spaces in between the cells. And it allows that cerebro fluid to flow through like never before while you're sleeping. And it removes all the junk, all the proteins, all the things, all the waste that's been built up. And it moves from one side to the other. I got it written down here. It's called, um, I pronounced it, I did this better when I was preparing, but amyloid, amyloid proteins or beta amyloids is what they're called. Actually, that protein is connected to and uh, very close to the cause, it causes Alzheimer's. Uh, there's a plaque that can build up if that's not removed from your brain. So lack of sleep allows that waste to stay there and actually build up plaque, just like if you wouldn't brush your teeth. It's like brushing your brain. Now, this is more than you probably wanted to do. Does this have to do with Christ? Because if the brain doesn't get its rest, if it doesn't get its sleep, if it doesn't let the, the cells shrink and allow that fluid to flow through and flush out all that garbage, it's, it's worthless to the rest of the body. The rest of the body suffers because of that. It goes in and out of rooms, trying to remember the last thing that it was going into that room for. The feet are like, why are we going? We're going back and forth. What in the world are we doing here? Because the brain can't remember why it came into that room. Anybody have that before? Get some sleep. And so when that organ takes care of itself, when it gets its rest, when it does what it needs to do, it edifies the whole body. You need that. You need that. You need that time with God. You need that time of refreshing. You need to let all that waste get flushed out. You need to shrink a little bit. You need to become unaware, so to speak, of everything else going on around you. And just focus on the Lord. It's interesting how it all relates. You can actually watch a video of that on YouTube. They've got an animated video of that. I love those. Anytime you watch one of those animated physiological you know, representations or whatever, it's amazing. to You think about that. Yeah, Darwin's theory absolutely blows it out of the water. The complexity of just the one thing you focused on on that three-minute video is like, there's no way that all has to come into existence at the exact same time for it to actually function. One doesn't exist without the other. It's an amazing thing. So, all right, that's why I throw that stuff in there now and then. Because every time you look at science, it just points to the Creator. It's amazing. So you may edify yourself, and you need to edify yourself so that the body of Christ can be refreshed by you later on. Okay, So he's not excluding tongues. He's saying there's a specific place for it, and the place isn't when you all come together because it's confusing when everybody's doing that. It's strange. It'd be like all of us showing up for church tonight and all just sleeping. I don't know if I caught anybody with that one. It'd be odd. It's strange. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you uh, either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinct uh, distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? 
For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world that none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. A little bit of a rebuke there for them. If you really want to do this and you want to do it right, you'll, you'll look for gifts that are going to bless others. You'll excel at those things. Now, he is not saying, and I have to say that because we live in a culture and we live in a time where tongues is, I don't know about that. We're kind of weird about that in the church. And so a lot of people read 14 and say, see, Paul, Paul just doesn't like tongues and we really need to just focus on other things. It's not what he's saying. This is a church that's absolutely on the other side of that pendulum, absolutely just speaking in tongues. And if you don't, you're crazy. And if you don't, you're not cool. And so he's trying to push that down a little bit, but not throw it away. He's saying, no, 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 no. We don't want to be doing this in the church, which we do. Tongues is of the devil. Tongues proves you're you're saved. Tongues is of the devil. Tongues proves you're saved. Guys, you just need to be in the middle. Tongues are awesome. They're a gift from God, but not everybody has the gift. The Bible tells us so. So it's not an evidence of the Holy Spirit, and it's not the devil. It's so simple, but we make it complicated. So he is telling them, settle down. Settle down. Do it for your own evocation, but when you all come together, you need to be building each other up. And so be thinking of others. It is powerful. It is a wonderful gift for you, this encrypted praise that's able to release all that you have in your heart towards God that you're not able to express yourself. That's what it's for. But use it for what it's for. You know, it's personal. Therefore, after I've said all that, Paul says, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret If you want to do it in front of everybody, that's fine, but pray that you have an interpretation so everybody can say, oh, that's awesome, you know? Do it in English, since we're in America. Do it in English. Interpret in English, you know? Um, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Did you catch that? This isn't something you produce. It isn't a language you learn. This isn't something that you come up with. It isn't something you can imitate, and some people do. And when you say in the church that the gift of tongues is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, which is the evidence of your salvation by de facto, then you're going to have people wondering, if I don't speak in tongues, maybe I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit, then maybe I'm not saved, and they will do whatever it takes because everybody's going to look at them. And they'll fake it just so they can blend in. If you go to a church where everybody speaks in tongues, you're the only one that doesn't? You know what that's like in a potluck? <laughs> oh, did you know that, and you hear John 3.16 every time you go to church, because everybody thinks you need to get saved, you know? Or they're laying hands on you, and they're doing their tongue thing over you. I'm trying. God doesn't want it. It's a gift. It's a gift. And so we get confused by that. And so Paul says, be careful, be careful. For if I pray, make sure that you have the gift of 
uh, interpretations that everybody can enjoy what you just said about God to God. What is the conclusion then? What is the conclusion? I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place uh, of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I'm glad you enjoyed worship today. I didn't. What What if our worship team got up here and sang in the Spirit? which you can do apparently. And you guys are all out there going, I'm glad you guys are having a good time up there, but we can't, we can't worship because we don't know what you're saying. We can't say amen. We can't join in. It's something that's foreign to us. And so Paul's just trying to get their hearts right. You guys are worried about yourselves. You're not worried about the people around you. Um, so Paul says, I will pray in the Spirit, which means he's pro-tongues, but I will also pray with understanding. I will sing in the Spirit, which means he's pro-tongues singing. But I also sing with understanding. Both are, both are important. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Very pro-tongues. <laughs> Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Of course. I could spend 10,000 words telling you to get out of here because there's a fire. But if I'm speaking in tongues, you're all just going, I know you're saying something very important, but I have no idea what you're trying to tell me. But if I say, get out, fire, oh, that's a lot more informative. That's what Paul's saying. I'd rather tell you that Jesus loves you, three words, or bring glory to him by praising him, and 10,000 words in a language you can't understand, because what did that do? Oh, good job. Great for you, you know. We have to be careful that we're not tongues crazy, but we're not tongues phobic either. We can be that. Find that place. If you're tongues phobic right now, guess how you're supposed to pray? <laughs> God help me with this. It's a gift from you. I'm not afraid of anything that's from you. I'm afraid of how men use things that are from you because they can mess it up, and we do. But if it's a gift from you, it's always good and perfect. Everything that comes from you is good and perfect. But in the wrong hands, it can be, well, we can use anything, and we do, to make people feel less or whatever. But then you don't want to be tongues crazy either because when you do speak in tongues... Like Paul says, I wish you all did. Because it's amazing to have this encrypted praise that allows you to release all this emotion and heart for God that you don't have the vocabulary to express to him. It's amazing. I wish you could all do it because it's amazing, you know? And it's hard not to come to church and say, you, David, you got to speak in tongues, man. It's awesome. Yeah, it's so great. And then just like, I, 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 I would if I could. Oh, dude, you're just not trying hard enough. And that's how it comes across. And you should never be that way with God's gifts. That's horrible. It makes people feel horrible. Because there are other gifts of the Holy Spirit that some people have that you don't have, and so on. It needs to be that balance. It's the body of Christ, functioning, edifying one another. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. Other scriptures say don't be ignorant about these things. 
Know these things. Understand these things. Understand. That's what Paul's trying to get across. That's what he's doing. He's using the gift of teaching right now. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit to teach us that we're not to be ignorant of these things. However, in malice, be babes. Or in evil, be babes. In understanding of evil, be babes. Be ignorant of the naughty stuff. But be wise in the spiritual stuff that's from God. But in understanding, be mature. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus, the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. That's a difficult passage to teach because it sounds like he's flip-flopping on us. He's, he's not, obviously. It's just the way it's worded. It's hard to understand. Tongues are a sign for those who are unbelievers. Think of Acts chapter 2. They come out of the upper room. They're all praising God in an unknown language, yet everybody hears in his own language the glories of God, true using of the gifts properly, and all the unbelievers are surrounded there going, what is this? It's a sign from God. Wow. Wow, are these not all Galileans? Wow. And then Peter prophesies. And then he begins to teach also. Two separate things. Don't get those two confused. Begins to teach. And they all get saved. 3,000 people get saved because the unbelievers like, what in the world? This isn't of man. This isn't a philosophy. This is a supernatural event. Boing. You know, their eyes pop. And then to their intellect, Peter speaks by the power of the Holy Spirit and 3,000 people get saved. That's what he's saying here. No matter how he words it, That's what he's saying. That's a perfect example of what he's saying right here. So, but if you show up at church and they walk in the door and you're all speaking with tongues and they came in here because they were seeking after the Lord and all they heard was a bunch of soloists, (laughs) that was great. I'm glad you all enjoyed yourself. You're all nuts. And I went to that church. One of the first churches I went to is called the Eagle's Nest out in California. Just got saved, just got back from Okinawa and just got deployed to El Toro and I'm looking for a church because I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do with this salvation thing that I have. And so I show up at this church and first 30 minutes, man, everybody, tiny little storefront. That was weird for this Lutheran to even step into that place. Little storefront, tight a lot of people, and they were all enjoying themselves, and hands in the air, and I was in the middle, and it was hot, and they were all screaming and yelling in different languages. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I don't even raise my hands yet to worship. You know, I might have done this maybe once, but this whole thing, what in the world? And they're speaking in tongues, and I'm looking at the back door, and the two elders are speaking in tongues in front of the door. I can't get out. Just waited. And it finally subsided after 30 minutes, but you couldn't get that out of your mind. I'm sure he had a great message that day, but that's not what I remember. All I knew was, wow, um, yeah, this is a cult. <laughs> and it wasn't. It was just out of order. It was just 
It was out of order. That's what Paul's trying to get at. They come in, they think you're mad. That's what we want to avoid, you know? On the other hand, when they show up at church because they're seeking after God and the message is going forth and somehow or another in the teaching, just what he says here, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convicted by all, he is convinced by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down in his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. How did he know? And that happens a lot here. You hear that a lot. Oh, man, I can't believe you preached that message today of all days. Why? Because I brought my friend, and that's exactly what they were going through. Well, it's not like I planned it. Well, they think I did. They think that, you know, no. I don't, we don't do that here. It's like, guess where we're going to be next week? Chapter 15. I mean, it's not rocket science around here. But all of a sudden... Hearts are exposed and things are revealed and people are like, wow, that's not fake. The word of God was alive and sharper than any two-edged sword and a cut between my heart, between my soul, between the spirit, between the joint, between the marrow. I was just busted by God, you know. I love that. That happens to me when I'm up here. That's embarrassing. I'm teaching. I'm going, hey, yeah, da, da, da. you guys all need Jesus. Da, 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 da. And all of a sudden I'm like, boom, just blown away by something. It's like, you need to get right, J.D., in this area. And it's like, pause for effect isn't pause for effect. It's pause for conviction and repentance in the middle of the teaching, you know. That's the Lord. God's word is alive and sharp and effective for everybody. And that's what he's saying here. Use it properly. And it's really effective. Tongues is going to totally edify you, totally bless you, totally allow you to give God all the praise he deserves when you don't have the vocabulary for it. And prophesying, teaching, edification, exhortation, whatever it might be coming out of your mouth by the Holy Spirit is going to bless everybody. It's going to build people up. Use it, you know. How is it then, brethren? Um, Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Whatever you're going to do, make sure you do it for edification. Now, he's not giving us an order of service here. Some people think that, okay, so every time we come together, we need to have a you know, psalm, check. You know, no. He's giving an example. When you do any of these things at all, make sure that you're glorifying God and that's for the edification of the people. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, not over the top of each other, not interrupting each other. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He doesn't interrupt himself. Um, let there be two or, or three at the most, each in turn, and let, no, and let one interpret. Look at this. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. That's interesting. Which means you have control over it. You can't just say, I don't know what happened. The Holy Spirit came over me, and there I was. You know, No. If there's no interpreter, which means there... Isn't that weird? It's weird because we don't have that here. I don't know any of you are interpreters of, the whole, of, of tongues. I don't know that. Well, oh, good. John's here because he's an interpreter of tongues. So anybody wants to speak in tongues, you can all do that tonight because John's here because he's an interpreter of tongues. I don't have that. They did. I don't know what to say about that. Um, but they knew, you know, or they should have known. Or he's teaching them that they need to learn this and figure that out. 
because they weren't waiting for interpretations. They weren't doing one, two, three in order. They were just going at it. I mean, it was heyday, spiritual heyday. Um, And he says, calm down. One or two at the most, three maybe. Um, Let there be an interpreter. And if there isn't one, keep silent. Let him speak, speak to himself and to God. In other words, keep it to yourself. If there's, it's not going to be a blessing to everybody around there. It's, it's personal, you know. I love this. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. So you could be doing something in the Spirit and somebody starts to prophesy, you're supposed to stop. Well, okay. I mean, you might have gotten interrupted or whatever, but he's saying if there's an interruption, stop. Don't just keep going and talk over the top of each other to see who's going to be louder or whatever. It's, he's so genuine, real, and it's so normal. I love this chapter. It's amazing. So you stop and let the other one finish, and then you can finish what you're going to do, but you know, just take turns. Because what's being said is important for everybody. It's supposed to be, you know. Um, for you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, you have control over the gifts of the Spirit. Guys, one of the fruits of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit is love, but one of those attributes of that love is what? Self-control. You don't lose control. That's demon possession. There's a different thing there. You have control over the gifts. The Spirit is subject to the prophet. Okay. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. He's the author of peace, not confusion. That's a good, you know, someone says, well, how do I know that what I've heard from God is of God? How do I know it's not of me? You have peace about it. No, I'm absolutely crazy. I have anxiety. I worry. I stay up at night. Well, then it ain't from God. Because he's not the author of that. Now, don't mistake uh, careful, don't mistake you kicking against the goads. Well, that's just confusion from the devil. No, no, you just may be fighting God's will in your life too. Now be careful of that. Um, but God brings peace. When you make that decision to finally do what God's asked you to do, there'll be just this, ah, nice, nice. I feel good. I feel comfortable with this. This is great. I told you my story. I've told you a lot of stories before, but I bought this car we had the choice between, a, it, was, it was a time. We had this much money, and we could either buy a brand-new stripped-down Jeep Cherokee, the big square ones that they should have never got rid of. I love those big square ones, you know. Stick, which is the base model, roll-down window, crank windows still, you know, but brand-new, right? Or there was the limited, used, five years old, 75,000 miles on it, same money, red with gold trim. I mean, it was, I won't say what it looked like, but... It was not us, but that's the one we picked. And so we said, yeah, that's the car we want. I mean, yeah, it's got power and warm leather seats. I mean, warmers back then, what? This is awesome, you know. So we bought this. I couldn't sleep that night. We had bought it in Sioux City. We lived in Omaha. My dad was getting it ready. There was a dealer that he was friends with. They were getting all prepped for us. We were going to go back and pick it up. I called my dad at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm so sick to my stomach about this thing. I said, Dad, he goes, what? You know. Are you in jail again? I thought you were saved. No, no. <laughs> Dad, he goes, what? I said, we're not supposed to get that car. God just won't leave me alone about it. That's not the car. We need the green one. What? We need the green car. Tell him to stop. We got to get, I just had to get it, got to get it stopped. We can't do the red car. It's not right. We're supposed to use the green one. 
okay, bye. I slept like a baby that night after that call. It's little things like that. I just knew. I just knew. And God has been like that with me all the time. It's, I mean, it is hot or cold. I got another story I probably shouldn't tell, and I won't. I'll just move on here. That's how I married Jenny, though. So, <laughs> Sorry, you're not the one. You are. <laughs> it was not good. It was a bad story. I'll tell you some other time. I knew. Boy, I had a piece about it, too. She didn't, but I did. I felt really much better. Um, therefore, <laughs> where are we? Uh, let him keep silent, subject to the prophets. Oh, yes, verse 34, the most important verse tonight. Let your women keep silent in the churches. Just making sure no ladies are laughing right now. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Now, please remember, earlier in chapter 11, Paul had just said that women prophesy and they pray in church, out loud. Okay, so it's not, what he, it's not saying what you think he's saying. He's not saying, keep quiet. And wear a black garb from head to toe while you're at it. That's not what he's saying. Split congregation, women over here, men over here. What did he say, Bob? I didn't understand what he's saying, Bob. I'll tell you later, honey. I don't get it. I don't. Back and forth. And Paul's like, quiet. Learn at home. Ask him at home, is all he's saying. He's not telling women that they're less or anything like that. Um, it's just, it's interruptive. You know, and the guys are. <laughs> We don't ask for directions, so we're not yelling across at the ladies saying, I didn't understand that, honey. What's he saying? Because we just say, yeah, I get this. I have any idea what he's talking about. We'll just keep quiet and we'll, we'll take it. The ladies are asking. So it says, stop, don't do that. Ask at home. And you know what it doesn't say here? We'll have to be careful. It gives the women a direction and a place they need to go to to find the answers, and that is to their husbands. Ask your husbands. And here's the hardest thing sometimes, because your husbands may not be spiritually where you think they should be, and you may even be ahead of them sometimes, and that happens. It's, it's not a good thing, it's not a good place to be, but that is the case sometimes. But God says here also encourages you, ask your husband. A lot of things happen in that. So maybe your husband is spiritual. The second thing I'd add to this is when you ask your husband, he gives you an answer, believe your husband. Don't ask him and say, yeah, I thought you were going to say that. That's wrong. <clears throat> That's not what he's saying here. Get, don't get your husband's opinion and then throw it out when you don't agree with it. That's not what he's saying. Ask him and receive it and receive it. I mean, balance it off of God's word, of course, and all that, but ask him. A couple things happen. If your husband is not where he's supposed to be spiritually, you ask him enough spiritual questions, honestly, not to test him, not to show your superiority, but because you honestly want an answer. No guy likes to look stupid. None of us do. We'll find the answer because we are answer people. That's one of the biggest complaints in marriage counseling is he always wants to fix my problems. I just want to tell him my problems. He's always trying to fix it. Guys are fixers. We want to know the answer. We want to give you a solution. We don't want to just say, well, I understand what a hard day you've had. No, we're going to make tomorrow better. So don't go there. So don't talk to that guy. So don't, that's not what I'm saying. 
So, how do I apply this here? You ask your husband a question, you don't think he knows the answer, he will get the answer and find out for you. Causes him to say, I don't want to look stupid. Every time she asks me a question about the Bible, I don't know it because I don't study it like she does. He's going to start. He'll start digging into it because he doesn't want to look dumb. None of us do. So there's a lot of things that go on there. And also, he's a covering to you, ladies. God's word says that your husbands are a covering to you. Place yourself under that covering. Let God, I mean, you talk about a bad covering. Abraham was a bad covering for Sarah, the father of faith. Honey, I think it'd be a good idea if you were part of that harem over there with the, with the king of Egypt, you know. Really? That's your spiritual discernment? She goes because she honors her husband, and God protects her because she's honoring God and his word, even though Abraham wasn't thinking straight. He wasn't doing it right. But God protected her. Ladies, you are protected by God's word. You'll be protected by God's word. Okay? Ask him. Ask him these questions. Or, verse 36, did the word of God come originally from you, or was it only you that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. (laughs) I think only Paul could say that. If you're spiritual, you'll believe what I'm writing you. If you're not spiritual, then you'll be an ignorant person. It'd be great to put that at the end of every sermon, but I can't. He can. He can. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. And that's the conclusion. And that's where we leave off. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this chapter. It's a, a time of ignorance in this area in, in, in the church. Um, there's usually just people on either end of this pendulum, and they need to find the center, uh, the middle ground here, where it is a beautiful gift from you, God, and we thank you for the gift of tongues. But we also know there's a place and a purpose for it, Um, and it's for our edification individually as we let out everything we need to let out to you because you're worthy of so much more than we can give you. Our vocabulary just isn't enough, Um, but when we allow your Holy Spirit to pray on our behalf, um, it works. And we thank you for that gift, God. It is a gift. It's a beautiful gift, and we will never shun it. Um, It's beautiful. Thank you. But also, God, prophecy to foretell and to foretell your glories, God, and your wonderful works, whether they've happened yet or not. We thank you for that gift also. We thank you for all the gifts of your Holy Spirit. And when operated, those gifts, when we operate those gifts in love, the fruit of your Spirit, God, it's a beautiful thing. The body of Christ is edified, we're edified, and we grow. Unbelievers are drawn to you because they see the miraculous. Um, And then the believers are blessed because they receive everything they have need of. And uh, God, what a great, great, uh, I guess I don't know how to explain it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. That's all I can say. Thank you. Um, He does a wonderful work in drawing us to you, but also helping us um, help each other. And so God, help us, Lord, to pray our way to the center, wherever we are and uh, to be um, right where you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.